That's exactly right. Chris, we're glad to have you. I'm going to actually ask the men to tell you why they take time to come here each week. Um, But first, let's bless God, shall we? Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. I know that man. Alex, Chris, Chris, Alex. Okay, gentlemen, you know the rule, but I don't see you living up to the rule. If you're younger than me, your cell phone should be in that bowl, and it should be turned off. If you're my age or older, you have the ability to just put it on stun. We have a conflict. See, that's, that's my notes. That's my notes right there. It's your notes. Well, that makes it aloud. Really? So you didn't bring pencil and paper, you brought a telephone to write on. What about the guys who use that? All right, sit, please. God bless you. It's good to see you. Good to see you, Man, it's just the Johnny Cash look for you over and over again. Just the man in black has shown up. That's it. That's it. All right, so if you're taking notes, that's fine. If you're not going to take notes and you memorize everything, then throw it in there. Okay. So... Uh, Gregory is going to uh, lead our discussion tonight uh, as he um, broaches the topic of Talmudic ethics, uh, a class that I took with his bride, my daughter, um, some years ago from the uh, Orthodox Chabad house. And I walked in thinking I had all the answers. And it turned out that I didn't know squat and I got everything wrong. So uh, hopefully... uh, Gregory will guide us in the same way so that you feel as much like a worm as I did that night. Uh, Several nights, actually. So some of those examples are fabulous. But before we do that, uh, I I just want to honor Chris for coming down from the mountain and and coming to to spend some time with us. Um, I'm sorry? The mountain? He came, well, not the mountain, but (laughs) the mountain. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Um, So I just want to go around the room quickly so he gets a sense for, you know, are you are you guys just weird, or is this good, or why would you come? Um, so let's just, you know, popcorn, top of your head, I show up because. Well, when, when, I, when I come, um, when I walk in the door every day, I'm usually tired and I'm exhausted, so I'm not an exception. But when I leave, when I walk in the door at my home after tonight is over, I know I will open my Bible and I'll be challenged to study. And I'll, I'll stay up pretty late on Tuesday nights afterwards just studying what we've gone over because it's such a challenge. And it doesn't end Tuesday night. Throughout the week I am, I am uh, compelled to study the subjects because they are, it's just very, very uh, deep and challenging and I'm held accountable. Outstanding. Really awesome. Wow. Great things. Thank you. Thank you. Gregory. Well, 
recently, I had to fill out something, and they asked, like, what, what is it that holds you accountable? And I was starting, I've never really had to answer that question before, so I was thinking about that, and the, the couple answers that I thought of, well, the one that is, I'm always with is my wife. She certainly holds me accountable, but the other thing is having a group of men like this and coming here, because we are all pretty much on the same page. We're all studying the same book, but sometimes our own interpretation gets in the way or our own way of doing things get in the way, and it's so helpful to have a group of men to ask questions or even to just get a little roughed up sometimes and just say, you know, I don't think that's right, or I don't think you're, you're supposed to be doing it that way. Here's the reasons, and present more scripture. And, and not only that, but just, it, I feel like this class and the topics that we've discussed have really grown my understanding of Torah, and it has also challenged me, as you said, to have a better understanding as an explanation to other people when they ask. We've really, we've worked a lot on just being able to respond, and I've had to put a lot of that into practice recently, and it has really been a huge help to just have someone ask those questions first before you hear them when it really matters. Good. Praise God. That's great. Thank you. Alex. I'm here because I love uh, Messiah Yeshua. I'm grateful for his sacrifice and rescuing me not only from the coming wrath, but also from this present evil age. Amen. I'm here so that I can uh, be challenged and sharpened and held accountable in the word, not by words of men, but by his word, to be a doer of his word, um, and to be an ambassador um, who speaks the words of my king. And that's been the challenge for me, as for all of them here, I'm sure, I know, is we've all come from different backgrounds. And we need to be Bereans, you know, we need to get into the word and say, okay, is what I heard over here true? Because, you know what, there's a lost person the Lord wants me to talk with today, and I don't want to misrepresent my savior and my king. And so really, that's, uh, that's a little nutshell of why I'm here. Excellent. Good, thank you. Isaac? These guys, so being held accountable has been a big part for me. These guys are really here for you. They support you. and um, I found being by yourself doesn't, it's kind of hard to support yourself. Mm. They've been around you. They're doing the same exact things, eating the same way you do, learning the same things. It really helps a lot. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but we've been down this road just maybe. Joseph. Like, wow, 
Titus takes, how could I have been so stupid for it to take this long for me to get this, but I'm very grateful that it has, and that's why I come here. Praise God. Thank you, Joe. Timothy. Um, well, to get, to, to, um, get closer to Hashem, and like iron sharpens iron. Mm. You know, I don't like talking that much. I listen to all you guys, and I learn stuff. Excellent. That's cool. That's great to know. Peter. Uh, I, I say it comes because he lives here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. Because it's so close to my house. But um, like Mr. Spurlock was saying, yeah, sort of a gathering of the coals here in this room. Um, a lot of heat, heated discussion. Um, I like that every very sticky issue that is presented. It gets worked out right here on Tuesday nights. If there's any question just from one person about the most ridiculous things, this is where it is. This is where it all gets answered. So that's very helpful. Especially for me because I'm still learning everything. So this is the place to be for answers. There you go. Rick, this is Chris. Chris, this is Rick Hergenretter. He's serving our country. He's our only active duty guy here. And uh, Chris came down from the mountain to meet you. He was a little concerned when you weren't first here. but uh, uh, So we're going around the room and just uh, kind of sharing with him why we show up on Tuesday nights. So what, why do you show up? Well, I, I gathered that from some of the responses. Good response. response. So you've got a lot to learn, don't you? I can learn a lot from you. Um, it's because of God's irresistible grace. That's right. That is good news to be sure. Unless God, of course, is there standing like the jilted boyfriend with the box of chocolates. Flowers, in which case he can be love me. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right, that's right. <laughs> but not like that at all. It's kind of an inside thing because uh, we just finished talking is, about Calvinism. Did yeah. get too little stuff. Right? Actually, I think we just started talking about Calvinism. It'll go on for another two years. <laughs> but, but it really is um, just an irresistible drawing to because of all those things. Um, but I know that it's born of the Spirit, and that's great to call these guys. Amen. And try to be transparent enough to be held accountable and, and be a tool for men. This is what discipleship is. Whereas I might not have found it quite so clearly before. Baruch Hashem. I won't tell you why I come here every Tuesday night. But I can tell you that. Uh, Regardless of how busy I get, this is the highlight of my week. We have like 60 people showing up here on Shabbat for prayers, oneg, portion discussion, and it's fabulous. But being here just with men and wrestling with some theological questions or some civil issue, or as, as Greg is going to lead us in tonight, ethical questions it just 
here you can bear your soul, you can be a jerk, you cannot know the answer, and not only the Torah, but the traditions of the elders rule. So, if we have a we have a man here who has failed in a certain area and has been restored, we're just not allowed to remind him of it. So we don't razz him about that stuff. We'll razz him about his current stupidity, but not his past stupidity. And uh, for one who is stupid on a regular basis, it's very comforting. So I enjoy it. I get normally to moderate, but I get to uh, pass it to my son-in-law tonight. I'm grateful for his, uh, his time here. So if you guys would welcome Gregory and give him your undivided attention. I don't think it's his teach as much as it is to guide. Um, the rules are if um, you got to go to the bathroom, it's right there. If you want some water or some more coffee or anything like that, go in there. Just come. Just Simple as that. Gregory will uh, keep us going here for another 45 minutes or so. Yes. And then, uh, we'll take a break for about 10 minutes or less. And then we'll uh, turn together for hour number two. Thank you. Sure, if you want to pass those out. Essentially what this is, we, uh, my wife and I, as, as, uh, as Mr. Squitterini was saying, they took this class, and it's based on this book here. I wanted to show everybody, so because one of the things in here is actually copyright laws, and so I just want to make sure to have my bases covered. This is the book where all of these things come from. And it is a really neat book that... I discovered, because of her, and I listened to some of the audio, and we read through it, and it outlines the points really succinctly, and what it deals with, there's about, there's six chapters, and they're all six different types of, um, of topics, and each thing is uh, an interesting question that probably it comes from either like a philosophy class or psychology class or something like that, but then they, they wrestle with it, and they use the Torah and the Talmud and various other traditional writings and writings from the sages to try to make a clear-cut decision on some things. Now, some things we will probably not come to a clear decision on here for sure, but it is these are some of the highlights from the discussions that my wife and I had with, uh, with a lot of the young people. And so I wanted to get everyone else involved and see if we could pull together you know, a lot of the, uh, the older men and the more experienced men to share insights and, and scriptural basis for some of these issues that uh, we're going to be talking about. So the, the first one is going to be lesson one. So we can, what we did before was we sort of run around and each, each person just read one and then after we read it, like, I'll just basically ask, so what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? How would you handle that? So it is important when it comes to ethics, I think, because we are going to be facing decisions all the time. And uh, my wife and I are reading this book called In His Steps. Has anybody read that? It's a really neat book. The whole book is essentially about a group at a church that said, we are committed for a year to ask the question before we make any decision, what would Jesus do? And one of the interesting things that came from that was a, a young woman in the congregation asked, well, what if... What if we don't know what he would do in a, in a particular case? What if it's not as clear in Scripture? And I think that 
is where ethics falls because sometimes it seems a little subjective and we're we're going to do our it's important to do our best to use scripture and scripture alone to make our decisions so that is sort of the the reasons for for doing this so the first one is all about saving your life over someone else's life and this this was one that had a lot of interesting discussion with us so i wanted to get your opinion on it and i will go ahead and read this first one here so two people are walking along the way and one of them holds a flask of water in his hand. If both of them drink, they will die. But if one of them drinks, he will reach the safety of civilization. Ben Petora expounded, it is better for both of them, th it is better that both of them should drink and die so that neither of them will see the death of his fellow until Rabbi Akiva came and taught that your brother may live with you. Your life takes precedence over any other life. So Rabbi Akiva interprets with you as meaning secondary to you. That, that was a verse out of the Bible. So what do you guys think about that? How would you handle a situation like that if you were faced with it? What, what decision would you make? Well, and you don't have to raise your hand. Just lively discussion is always the best. Go ahead, yeah. Um, Shout them out when you know them. Well, I'll just tell you that um, in in the medical field and in emergency response, you're always concerned about protecting your own safety before you walk into an incident. Because if you are hurt, harmed or hurt, now you're no longer an asset that can work towards um, satisfying the problem. So I, I can see a little bit of perspective. In that. Mm. I don't agree. Which, with which one? Do you believe in laying down your own life for your brother? No, I think that I think that both of you should drink. Um, the preservation of life, I think, is. Um, but if, if you both drink, you both die. Well, that's. How do we? Know? I, yeah, that's my point. Is no, like no, you can't second guess. Well, they're stating as God said, if you both drink, you will both die. Okay. Well, it's essentially, it's just, you, you know that it's not going to be, you know that it's not going to be enough water for both of you. Right. So that you've reached this, this point, essentially, where you need to make a decision. So you would say both drink. I would say both drink. Okay. So you would, you would inevitably be, be killing yourself, knowing, making the decision that would ultimately lead to your own death, right? Yes. Absolutely. Okay, no, so no, that's not if it were you with Beverly and you're walking through the. Uh, okay, now for her. Oh, oh, so it depends on who it is. Yes. Oh, good point. That's, that's a place in the world to come. Oh, can we make that decision? The lost sheep. I mean, I would just let him get him decide, but. First, she'll be last. It, it does depend on who it is. Let's say it was me and Noah, or me and Tim. I would definitely. But, but that's the thing. Oh, that's the thing. I would say the opposite because when it comes, if, for instance, if it was my, my father and I, I would be as honoring and respecting of him as possible and say, no, you, you go ahead. Although you could look at it a different way and say, well, I'm more likely to, you know, pass on the, the family name and everything. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough question. But There's a story told in Christendom. Man who is watching as his 
sun and the sun's best friend were swimming. And the uh, son, the father's in the boat, and uh, the two kids get caught in a riptide. The father jumped in, knowing he could only grab one and pull him up. And he knew his son was a believer and had given his life to Christ. And so he reached out and grabbed his son's best friend allowed his own son to die. Besides the obvious allegory with the Father and his blessed Savior, our blessed Savior, his son, um, I heard the son, the, the friends, the son's friend, tell this story from the pulpit. And he said, do you, do you think, he said it to the congregation, do you think you could do that? Everybody said, no way. And he goes, that man saved me instead of his own son. I'm the guy he saved. I'm that kid. And he had our undivided attention. Hmm. Well, personally, if it's Tim and Pete, sorry, Tim, you're going to die. Is there, do you have any biblical basis for your decision, other than he is your son? And my, my responsibility as a father is to protect my family. And I'll do that with handguns, long guns, and anything else. Rocket, yeah, yeah, tanks, you know, anything it takes. And, and so that's where, that's where my head lies. Okay. When you throw somebody else into the mix, I may be wrong, but biblically I feel to save my own family first because God put them in my charge. That you've swerved off the question because the whole first chapter is about do I save myself or someone else, not which person do I save. Uh, it actually has to include you. And all I was doing was just it was working great, off of... Actually, uh, although I must say... Sergeant uh, my dear brother oh, yeah, Joseph right. did pull my three-year-old son off the bottom of his pool. <laughs> While he fell down, I was staring at him in shock and thinking about what to do. But next. my son wasn't lying next <laughs> to him. That's true. That's there true. you go. <laughs> so thank you again. Yes, no problem. <laughs> that's actually the second time I've done that for uh, for people over here as their sons have fallen in the pool. You're right, son. Um, if it were me and my if son, it were me and you. I would die. See, and then we would end up both dying because I was going to drink the water. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't it out. like David for the water. Yeah. Well, this, <laughs> not no one can drink it. Well, this created a very interesting discussion because, on the one hand, I particularly I thought Rabbi Akiva has a good point. I mean, we've been entrusted with our our life, and you know we are. We're to do our best to, to live it for God. And I mean, placed in this situation where it is my decision, I, I would, at first I was like, well, I would probably go with him and say, no, I, I will drink this water and let the other person die, especially if they were the ones that like, no, you go ahead, you know. But um, the other thing was uh, Jonathan Upham had brought up, well, what about the, the verse that says, you know, greater love has no one than one who lays down his life for a friend? 
And it's like, oh, that's a really, that's, that's a sticky one. Yeah, because that's a, that's a biblical verse, you know, not just Rabbi Akiva. So would he, which side would you take for that? And would there be able to be a consensus if both were basing it off of the Bible? I mean, it, like Pete said, it would end up being like, oh, well, I guess we'll both die since we both want to give up our life for our friend. Well, you would, I mean, it would be an honor for you to allow him to fulfill that mitzvah. You know, ah, so water. interesting but, way to see I, it. I like I, that. I let you die for me. You water you by living. Yeah, very cool. Well... Well, I, as you can see, th- some of these are, are pretty tricky. That's, that's interesting. How are you doing, sir? We've got form the the things right here. You you know this stuff. Joshua just asked my second daughter on Sunday to marry her. The most important part. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I know. Second daughter. Yeah. Second daughter is Julia. Julia. Yes. Well, well, the next one, the the next one is equally as as tricky. So, would you like to go ahead and read that next one there? A father of. A... So, are we reading about the fifteen-year-old boy? Yes, yes, the fifteen-year-old boy. A father of a fifteen-year-old boy came to me and asked the following question. The Sunday school had. Uh, sorry. Sunday school. We'll edit that off. Uh. Right. Yeah, we'll edit that off. The SS has just rounded up 400 boys between the ages of 14 and 18 to be killed on the following day, including his son. The father, however, managed to convince one of the guards to release his son in exchange for a large bribe. He wanted to know whether he was permitted to save his son, since as a result, the officer would round up another child in order to maintain the order. So, how would you handle that? Well, let's see. Based on what Joseph said, not his kid. Don't save you by giving the large bribe. I don't have to worry about him. I think I know the answer to this one. Hands down, I would give the bribe. I would give the bribe. Absolutely. So you okay? So give the bribe. Absolutely. I would think it would relieve for a time one person from their capture at least. But 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 it would. Yeah, exactly. That the tricky part is, well, they would they would kill someone else. So you would be paying to kill someone else instead of your own son. Well, the big question is, would, is there going to be more death after these after this round? I mean, is it going to continue? Amen. Because we don't know. We don't know that. It's, I mean, once you throw in that element of doubt where it's like, well, something could happen, the whole place could be bombed, and all of them can escape, I mean, that, that gets a little tricky, but um, this, this particular, yeah, I know. Unfortunately, that would not be the case, because the 
Allies refused to bomb any of the concentration camps of War II. Yes. At least Auschwitz they didn't bomb. And Joshua is a historical journalist. Well, well, I don't know if they knew it when they were there, but yeah, I, we know that afterwards. <laughs> no, I know. What I'm just saying is that, um, yeah, you'd hope that someone would come and save the day, and they don't always. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, so Never any, and can you, can you come up with any biblical basis for a decision to save your own son? See, I don't think you can, you can't dwell on It has nothing to do with emotions. What's the... No, well, you find the whole... Protection? Protect my family. Okay, the, this no one else. I can this tell you that the master said that no one comes in and plunges the house unless first he ties up the strong man. I am that strong man. You want to plunder this house, you've got to get past me. God has put me in charge of this house to rule this house and to protect it. I am the provider... I am the priest, and what is the other one that starts with B? Prophet. Preacher. That may be true, too. Thank you for that. Prophet, priest, and... Uh, protector. I, I, pro protector. That doesn't sound biblical, but it looks, but it's good. I mean, I like that. That's the person who says it. Well, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, this is like a principle that, that you would have with dealing with the world and your children. You're raising up a family. I'm not going to send my children into the world to, to uh, unless they're, you know, to do battle with the enemy, unless they fully train, right? So I won't, I won't, you know, break away from that. But when it comes to me, I can turn the other cheek. I can make that decision for me. So the first one is an issue about me. So I mm -hmm. have a choice. I see that I have a choice to do that. But when it comes to my children, I don't have the choice. That's right. That's right. There is no choice. As a dad. In other words, that doesn't fit within the cubbyhole of emotion. There's something more than just emotion. Agreed. That's what they're saying. It's a, it's a strong, God-given responsibility. And just to play off of that a little bit, Judaism does teach that when it comes to tzedakah, charity, that you're supposed to take care of people in concentric circles. You take care of, initially, people in your land. You take care of the Jewish person with you. You take care of family. It's like, you know, it... You don't go and say, oh, I've got to save everyone in Africa. That's not your responsibility. It can't be. You don't have that much money. You have to focus on, in a sense, getting growing out. Exactly. So, in this sense, you can almost argue the same thing. If you have the capacity to save more, do so. If you can only save one, then you almost feel like your responsibility would be to save your son, first off. Plus, I mean, again, you talk about hypotheticals, but still... If you save one, you are buying time. Even if someone else is most likely going to be caught, there is a window there. And maybe if they've rounded up a whole bunch, maybe a bunch of other people are able to go into hiding, so it's less likely they'll find that next person. I think there's, I, I would almost say it's worth taking the chance, as it were, even if it wasn't your son. But, I mean, imagine the, what would happen if you were to, you have this option and you pay this money, and there are all these other fathers that don't have that option and don't have that money and their son gets taken because your son didn't. They, they weren't about to be. They would have had a couple more days with them or they would have had however much longer with them to teach them and to import their wisdom to them and, and now that, that chance has been taken away because we are paying to 
have them look the other way and, and get another one. But flip it around. If you don't pay, you have chosen that your son will die. And you had the opportunity to cause him not to die. This is, I mean, it's, it's the same ethical issue either way, in my opinion. If you pay and they take somebody else's, it's no different than not paying and they're killing someone. But you didn't choose... See, you chose the, either way. You but, had the opportunity. You chose but, not no, to. but you chose life. You provided life. What happens after that is up to God, in my opinion. What if we, it's not on here, so I'll bring it up, but it's, remember the one we did with the train tracks. You have one child here, who's your child, and they are tied up on the train, on the track, and there's a train coming. And there's also 25 people over here. And you have the option to save your, child, your son or daughter or whoever, or flip the switch and these other people die. So is it still your responsibility to save your child and lose all these other people? I don't like that. I don't well, that's basically what you just said, though. It's well, just 20. No, it's a one-to-one. One. No, no, no. But what is oh, so it's about, about numbers. Numbers are numbers irrelevant, though. though. I think numbers are important. So you, there's, so, okay. a, there's a value that we can assign to life? So, so this one is your child. No, this one is a son of a hobo who lives on the street. And regardless of whether he's saved or not, you are going to kill this child who will live unless you're allowed to go straight ahead and your son dies. So you say if I do nothing, your son will someone die. dies. Your son will die. Well, you can, I can remove the emotion. you got a person tied to each track. Train's going this way, and if I don't flip the thing, they will die. I flip it. Versus maybe die? This is surely. One one of them will surely die. Hmm. There's no oh, oh, but oh. see, I You're don't assuming know responsibility. I can save a life. I'm going to do something. My faith is about doing. If your neck's on the line, I'm going to do something to save So it doesn't neck. actually matter which which tracks your son is on? That's right. I guess well, there. I took the son out of it. Yeah, but if your son that, was there, or like he was taken up by now, now we got a different issue. The, me, we got a different issue. Not just an issue of life. I mean, the issue of life to me is is a positive commandment, and I'm going to do it. You put the son in the mix. One of you over here said, you know, you know, get the emotion. It, it's it's hard because. On the one hand, yes, the positive commandment for life, but in, these, in both these cases, in order to keep the positive commandment of life, you are also breaking the negative commandment of murder. By, Not necessarily. Uh, well, it's you are doing something to kill someone else so that one other will be saved. God could always jump in and do something first. But what if we add the numbers in there? How do you all feel about if you add numbers in there? Still your son on the track. If there's a bigger ratio. Actually, yeah, I, 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 I read a national story, and someone else might have read it also, about a uh, drawbridge operator who brought his son to work. And his son started playing in a well where the, the drawbridge goes down, and there was a boat coming, and he either had to not up, take the drawbridge up and kill a lot of people, or kill a son, and he, he picked the drawbridge up. So he, he I can't remember. Son, it was no, no, he I killed his son. He, he yeah, killed his son and saved boat. all the people in the boat. So that does add value. Is that what we 
That's that's what we're trying to decide. I'm, I'm Can, sensing like if we're talking about numbers, this is different in this story. I think about like Abraham and Isaac. You know, God says, "Sacrifice your son." Well, there is. I mean, Judaism to this day looks back on that incident as seeing it as an act of faith by Abraham that is then an act of faith by Isaac that then provides atonement in a sense for the entire nation. Not atonement, like eternal atonement, but this like God, you know, does favors for them because we're linked. We're linked to those people. Right. And so in that sense, then I think there's ample biblical precedent for as awful and horrific, I can't imagine what it would be like, if you have the option of saving more, I would take the numbers, in my opinion. That's because you don't want to say <laughs> True. This is true. I'm not talking, I mean, emotionally it would be beyond traumatic. I can't yeah. even fathom that. But at the same time, it's like, I'm just looking at it ethically. I'll, I'll um, we, we got to stop talking about this because it's going to just tear my heart <laughs> But I would, I would, I would close my my entries on this particular topic by saying, if the numbers were there, and I chose the numbers, I would hope that I would have taught my son the value of life to the point where he would understand what I've done. Not that it would matter, because I would be dead. <laughs> but you could easily live with it. Because it's basically like I saved all those people, you know, yeah. vicariously. <laughs> you had to use that so, word, didn't you? So shallow. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we will uh, we'll, we can move on because th those are. I would do it on time because I want to get to number three. Oh. Oh, you want to get on? That. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're 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 doing all right. All right. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Noah. Why don't you? Read this 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 next paragraph right here. Um, all all Israel. That one. This is more of like a really cool statement from Judaism, not necessarily a discussion point. So, go ahead. Okay. All Israel is commanded to save a person whose life is being pursued, even if it means killing the pursuer, and even if the pursuer is a minor. Thus, if a warning is issued, and he continues to pursue, the pursuer can be killed, even though he's acknowledging the warning. But, if the pursuer can be stopped by dis... Dis dis disabling part of his body, shoot him in the knees. Yeah. Whether so by striking him with an arrow, a stone, or a sword, or by cutting off his hand, breaking his leg, or binding him, Blinded. then he, it should this, that should be done. I thought that was a good, succinct way of saying it. Because I, I think a lot of us would agree with that. Yeah. Once, once life is at stake, when there's a pursuer, as they define it, that changes everything. And these two up top didn't really deal with that, but I thought that was a cool statement for the saving others versus uh, the that saving also, yourself. That also works in North Carolina a lot right now. Hmm. Yeah, and that, we're going to see that that comes into play in the abortion topics as well. So we can move on to... Close, too. I mean, if they're like three feet from one of my daughters... And they're, they're going to harm her, and I know that. It's going right in his head. <laughs> <laughs> we call him Gentle Joe. Don't mess with his daughters. See, that's the thing. It says, if he can be stopped by doing these things, then do that. But anyway. All I just did, just to throw a little wrinkle in that, from what I understand, um, you better have, as he, as he said, some good distance if you're going to try and disable an attacker. Yeah. Because you can shoot a guy in the gut and he'll keep coming. Well, you see, I read here disabling a part. It says by disabling part of his body. If you've been to the pistol range with me, you know 
I'm going to disable the part. <laughs> That's it. We're going to take him out. Well, how big is that part? It's just a part. Just big enough. Uh, the part's only big enough. So. Right. <laughs> this next one is about euthanasia. And this, these were the two that, uh, that were pretty tricky for us. And so why don't you, Mr. Hergner, if you could read that first one. Jewish perspective on euthanasia. I have a patient who is terminally ill. There is very little we can do to relieve him from his unbearable suffering. Are we required to provide the patient with remedies which, while not providing a cure, will delay his death for a period of time, or is it better that he dies sooner? I love this. Very good question. <laughs> so let, let's hear some. Let's hear some scripture to uh, to back up some decisions. Oh wow! We just want to think for a minute about the fact. Uh, I've got one. Um, you got two things at play here. In America, there's you know. The idolatry of pragmatism and there's just you know moving resources to where they're best needed in a very material way and on a very scientific way without considering anything else. And so it's becoming more actually that sort of stems from an atheism in um, like the I'm not kidding, like in the Netherlands, and it always kind of ends up in California and then makes its way to New York. And then makes its way to the rest of the country. And that's kind of how this worldview, that's where it sort of comes from. Like, for example, right now, I just happen to know that <laughs> there are certain doctors in that part of the country, in the other world, I think in the Netherlands, who I heard this, read this article where, I heard the story where um, they, uh, they're afraid to be around their colleague doctors when they get really, really old. <laughs> because of the the slippery slope of well, you're not really advising. It's almost a hastened demise for the betterment of the collective, right? So we can use those resources elsewhere. You're taking up resources, and it's a fact that most of the resources for healthcare are spent in the last few years of a person's life. And we've bemoaned that in America because that's just not practical. But that all presupposes that there's no value to that life in the last few years. So the, your answer here is, of course. Yeah. Well, I question the word better to die sooner. Where does that come from? Well, it's because he's, um, yeah, he's, he's unbearably suffering. Okay. Um, hold on a second. Well, it looks like in here that if you give them remedies, it won't provide a cure. It simply prolongs his life. But it, it will be some type of alleviation of pain. Some type of relief. Yeah, I know. Okay. I think this is actually, just give me one second. Sure. This whole situation, I think, should be discounted because it's... It is all about the pain in this case. There's nothing they can do about the pain. And the question is, are we required to give him stuff that will prolong his life? Oh, so he's going to stay alive, but his suffering's not right. going to be... Not going away. Uh, uh, right. In this case, I would say, why would you actually prolong his painful life if, when a hands-off approach, he would just die? Not that that's what I think. 
Well, yeah. little, there is the word little. I mean, there's very little, but there, little means that there's still this, something that we can do. Right, true. And I guarantee you that this happens in Charlotte right now. Yeah. Probably today. I mean, yeah. just to throw this out there, to pull this away from New York and California, which where they do incredible things, the whole concept of hospice care is this idea. Yeah. I'm sorry, the, the whole thing? The whole concept of hospice care is this idea. You take someone out of the hospital because you can't save their life. They're going to die. And you put them in a place where they'll be as comfortable as possible, and they're going to die. And they're probably going to die a lot sooner than if you had them hooked up to a whole bunch of machines and IVs and drugs and whatever else. But, but at the same time, the idea is to try and make that end as comfortable and as much opportunity to spend time with family, and it's not as you know, clinical as being in a hospital. I mean, that's the intention. And which is basically what we're talking about here. Honestly. So quality of life then? And it's an important question. I mean, is the, because you might have, I mean, in this case, it's quality by ending it, I suppose. But it is an interesting question. I'm, I'm very, I have an allergic reaction to any form of pain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's something about suffering that's Christ-like, I guess, right? I mean, are we not, are we supposed to just alleviate all suffering in our lives? Is that a picture of the... But are we supposed to prolong it? Well, is this without his consent? Is that what we're talking about? I'm asking. Is this something that doesn't know that he's going to be prolonged? We know that. I, I think this was a question... Yeah, this is obviously a question coming from a doctor to a rabbi saying... What should I do with this patient? And I don't know if he, whether or not he's explained the situation to him yet, but yeah. he's wondering in his profession what he should do in this case. I'm just trying to, you know, I'm just thinking out loud about suffering in general. And, um, is there something biblical about suffering that we should not avoid? That's all. The, the wow. sages, all about suffering. Yeah. We have stories in the town, story after story after story of these righteous men who suffered, and their suffering right. protected the, the generation that they were in, or the town that they lived in, or whatnot. You know, there's, there's, there's one fanciful story about some sage who had a kidney stone, you know, and it, it like caused them great... 14 years. Yeah, 14 years, and, you know, the rains always came because he had, this, you know, something like that. Yeah. You know, so the sages, I think, are, are where you're at, always seeing the value of suffering, not necessarily as uh, such a bad thing, but something that has passed through the hand of God. Yeah. Yep. And there's, a, there's another story in the Talmud about a, a man who was captured by the Romans, and they were going to burn him alive, literally. And they, they put him in there, and all of his followers were, were apparently there and they were calling out to him and saying just open your mouth and, and like breathe in the flames so that you'll die sooner and he said no like he'll take me when he'll take me basically so he to your point he prolonged his own suffering choosing to I'm not going to do something that's just going to end it quickly God will take me when he'll take me so the hard part is this one is different than that though because my my thought was what do you do like for example the story of Saul Saul is dying from being oh, hit yeah. with arrows he says kill me the guy says no he kills himself somebody runs up to David and foolishly lies and said I did kill him and David kills him because you shouldn't have killed God's anointed but the difference is that that's an instance of taking someone's life when they want to die 
Whereas this is a case of a situation where it's more hands-off. In that case, like in that, like that example compared to modern times would be like the idea of like Dr. Kevorkian, who like injected you with some sort of you know uh, poison that killed you, in, you know, within hours. As opposed to in this case, we're simply not doing everything we could do to stretch out those days. He's just going to die when he should have, in a sense, naturally. So it does make it a little more complicated in this situation. I don't know if I can think of a biblical example, honestly. That could we, could we relate to Paul's thorn in the flesh in some way? You know, he, he was suffering with this, uh, whatever it was, pussy eye. Absolutely. He asked the Lord to heal him, and then finally he said, my grace is sufficient. Live with it. Live yeah, with deal pain. with it, bucko. Yeah. 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 Going <laughs> along, also going along with your point, Jewish thought of suffering comes from Hashem. You know, he allows it. It's there for a reason. It's not the Christian. It's not, we all kind of have a bias of, if there's suffering in your life, it's either because it he wants to be heal sin. it, or it's sin, or he wants to heal it, or reveal something, and you need to purge it, yeah. or you're going to die, or, you know, you know, the Jewish <laughs> understanding is, oh, that's from Hashem. That's why it's there. You know, there's a reason. The, the tricky part with this is, it's been put in place by Hashem, but the option here is, should I keep it going, or should I just let, every, let nature take its course, essentially, and let Hashem decide when he... Well, if he initiated it, if he originated it, then it, it, you're not letting nature take its course, you're letting Hashem take his course. Well, that's what we're saying. Well, right. Is it, is it prolonging, that, or is it just allowing I mean, his course to take action? It almost sounds like you're discounting God likes doctors, you know, because they, they provide healing. Does God like doctors? He does. Doctors really? Are, I don't although, know. although, this is interesting, in the Chronicles I read recently, was that Joseph had or somebody who consulted a physician, and that was like a bad thing. That was like the last straw we should have done. Although Hezekiah was... You'll probably say physician healed so. myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think in the end, the, thing that, the most important factor here is that if you do nothing, the person dies as opposed to potentially taking the person's life. Because in all the instances where we're talking about prolonging <coughs> suffering, it's because if you acted, the suffering would end. Whereas in this case, if you step back and do nothing, Active. the suffering would end. That's an act of omission. Well, it could be. But it could be an argument of saying that this person would have died anyway. Yeah. And I, therefore... I, I think, to quote a good friend of mine, that's idolatry. <laughs> okay? For me to... <laughs> Couldn't help it. It just fit. For me to, to me to, for me to step in and play God is always inappropriate. So if if I'm looking at this guy and there's something I can do to prolong his life, to me, life trumps even Shabbat. So I'm going to prolong his life. How do I know that God, in His infinite mercy, is not going to heal the man two minutes from now. I don't know that. And for me to not relieve his suffering, scratch that, for me to not prolong his life, is in essence, I'm killing him. By, by not doing anything, I'm killing him, and I'm presuming that I know better than God who, who grants and takes life. 
Yeah, I think we should treat every moment of life, Precious. no matter what quality it is, as yeah, it's given by God. Unless the man has a handgun. Even in which case, he uh, can take his own yeah. life. Can I just throw one quick curveball in there? I love just to play off of this. We've had this conversation before, so I'm curious what your answer will be now. Ah! What about, we've talked about this before, what do you do then with issues like um, uh, situations where someone's life is, is in a vegetative state? Yes, they are alive, but the machine is keeping them alive. Life support systems. Are I was afraid it was going to show you prolonging life. I think yeah, family member's been given authority to, okay, if I'm, if I'm kind of out for this long, just... Because if you unplug the plug, the person will die naturally. You didn't cause them to die. Right. They should have already been dead. That's important. But in our modern times, we're able to keep them alive by keeping the blood plugged in. Which is why in our family, we do not plug. Yes. That's not always a choice. No, it's in the will. Our whole family, except maybe Peter, when he's always out in left field. Our whole family is not plugging that. How is that different? It's... Yeah, you, well, I, I think you just argued, though, that if you could save a life, you should act. No, he said he's not intervening by saving it, though. Now you're intervening it to prolong it. But well, in this case, you were intervening to yeah, save you were intervening Yeah, in this case, you're intervening to delay death for a time. To keep them alive or to keep them I, out of pain. That's good. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sorry. I, <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I would, I would give medication or something like that. But the ventilator, you know, the iron lung, all that stuff. If, if that's what that's talking about, extraordinary. But is that emotion yeah. playing in? Because how? It has nothing to do with emotion. It has nothing to do with emotion. I can tell you that right now. What about where my wife has made it clear? Who have come if out I'm about this. to stop breathing, you let me stop breathing. Well, Juliana said the same thing. She falls in the pool, bumps her head. Don't resuscitate. Makes no sense. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, the whole family, the whole family jumped up and said, "We just want you to know." <laughs> you fall in a pool, we're going to resuscitate, and you can slap us around all you want after you wake up. That's, that's exactly like the uh, the Holocaust situation there, because like. Your son is about to die, and we all sort of came to a consensus to say, "Oh, we would pay money to to save him." Yes. But now it's like, "Oh, but if we right. had to do something with medical stuff, then nah, well, we'll I mean, just let him go." There's a difference between giving a shot to stop a person who's having, you know, going into anaphylactic shock, you know, you know, bee sting, you know, you want to give him epinephrine, that kind of deal. You know, I I can deal with that, but. They can't breathe. I don't think. So then, is it a quality? I can. Is it a question of quality? It has nothing to do with quality. Okay, no. Artificial means of keeping someone alive is just something that. See, I would almost see the artificial means as being more valuable than this story. Because in this instance, the person is going to die. Like, there is nothing that can be done to save their life. But we've already. You can only prolong it. But if God can prolong, heal them. Exactly. But artificial so, means. But He could heal them in any case. Yeah, there, there was, there was in fact a story in here that describes somebody that was in this vegetative state for, I think it was nine months or something like that, and at one point they had declared the person dead, but the family wouldn't let it. They had to keep them up. They woke up and they're living today. And they heard and understood what was going on when the doctor said that they couldn't. 
Oh. Extra visible. There we go. Well, it seems just to be like a low point in the life. I don't think you can say, well, it looks like he's not breathing by himself anymore, so that must mean God is going to take him now. Well, I, I think the bottom of the page, we get into when life begins and ends, I hope. So. Yeah, well, we can... I mean, it's a personal preference that having seen death, having experienced death, my, my family just does not do the artificial keep you alive thing. Um, I don't count that as, you know, if, like I said, you know, Alex gets stuck with the, you know, with the bee and he's going to go in the shop and die if we don't give him that. I'm going to give him the drug and he'll, he'll, he'll make it. Um, as opposed to, holy cow, I mean, this guy is dead. We are simply keeping him alive but, yeah, by our you, technology. You boil it down to the definition of death because without that, everything you're saying is sort of moot. Is he brain dead or is he just not breathing? Yeah, that, that's a major question. Are we, are we getting into that or not? Well, the, we're not getting into that, but in the book, they describe a conversation essentially that a lot of Harvard professors and a lot of rabbis and all these guys came together and their consensus was. We just can't bring ourselves to define death. We don't. We can't do that. We don't know. I mean, a lot of people were leaning towards the whole brain dead thing, but it was it was still an unanswered question, even with it's with all simple. that. It's real simple for my wife, and you know, your mileage may vary. Your heart stops. You stop breathing. You're dead. I don't care if you got brainers or not. What about the yeah. electric shockers? Defibrillator. Defibrillator. Yeah, you try those. Try that. It doesn't work. Why would you try yeah. it? Your heart well, I'm not saying that your heart can, you know, just because your heart stopped, you're dead. How long do you have to wait before you're called dead? Do you rigid? My dad was a paramedic, son. How I know many, exactly how long. How many times do we get to try to resuscitate? We're going to try three or four times, and then we're going to say, you know what? This is all so easy. Okay, okay. <laughs> we couldn't start the heart. Sometimes, though, my only point is that sometimes it's not, the machine aspect of it, though, is not as simple as don't plug in. Sometimes you have someone plugged in when they should recover, and then they lapse, and then they're not recovering. You got, into the, pl you got into the plug-in phase. My family doesn't go to the plug-in phase. <laughs> well, how about, why don't we read the next one since it's on the same subject? Mr. Bros, would you like to read that one? If the doctors sure. are... Uh, if the doctors do not know of a cure for the person's illness, nor of a means to reduce the person's pain, but merely know of a means to prolong his life of suffering, they should not apply these means. If a person who is terminally ill contracts a second illness for which there is a cure, it is obligatory to heal him from the second illness. However, if he is suffering, there is no known cure for the first illness, nor is there a means to relieve him of his pain and suffering. It is sometimes preferable for a person to die to live under such circumstances and it is probable that we are not obligated to prolong his life. So essentially, that, that wraps yeah, up... Really that, yeah, oh yeah, because it's still unsure, but you know, that, that does tr attempt to make a more clear-cut answer to the previous question. But how, what would you, would, would you agree with, with his statements there about the suffering and about the, the contingencies that he describes afterwards? What would, would you agree with that? What he was saying? Don't prolong a life of suffering? It's just, 
especially what they were just saying before about suffering. You know, well, I think we should we should get a couple of yes nos here. Yeah. God may not know a cure, and there may not be a cure, but yet mm. there's a miracle and a person is healed. So sometimes probably. I I would I am on the the fence where I would say I I would agree with this. I would say if there is a person that's suffering and there is no known cure, I think it's it's what's a good word to use? It's just not. Um, in, uh, it doesn't seem right to just prolong in an, uh, a life of suffering. I mean, it, if, if they contracted whatever it is, and we understand that everything is in God's will, then just making whatever they contracted initially go longer than it should have. Why is suffering? Well, because well, my father wakes up with back pain every morning. And he's grumpy sometimes. Yeah. Uh, so, let me, let me ask a question, because maybe, maybe, I'm just, <laughs> maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy, but here's, here's the way I'm looking at this. Um, and, and if you if you continue to, to do this mealy mouth, well, I don't really know. You should really probably think about that. Well, what a bunch of crap you guys are giving here. You know? <laughs> um, hey, well, sorry, I didn't make a decision. <laughs> you know, uh, here's what I'm looking at. If technology today has allowed us to thwart the hand of God, maybe we should look at it as that. And here's where I'm coming from. Since Peter doesn't like this. Is Here's where I'm coming from. A hundred years ago, a guy gets hit in the face with a two-by-four. He falls on the ground. They turn him over. Sam, are you okay? Sam? Sam? They listen. They don't hear any breath. They put a mirror there. No breath. Sam's dead. Next. Next. <laughs> Sam's dead. Well, now, Sam gets in there, boom, with the forehead, you know, boom. He goes down, and you got the guys doing the CCR, and you got the gas thing, and psh, 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 you know, and the whole deal. And, you know, four days later, Sam's in a coma for 14 years. On life support. But this On life support. Hear me out. Hear me out. And then he dies. Uh, you know, all my thought here is... If God opens and closes the womb, it's God who gives and takes life. Who are we to step in? Don't it does. It, save the guy. If you can save the guy with your hands and your mouth, oh, just you save him. Oh, just the hands. If I gotta put him on a machine to keep him alive, what or have I just made him this guy? Pill. I don't have a problem with that either, son. It's my hand. That's what I'm talking about. I would like to replace the kidney. I got. Or it would be nice to give a biblical example here. I don't have a problem. And that would be the story of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had a disease that could not be cured. He was going to die. He asks God to prolong his life. God does. Wait, who did? Hezekiah. God prolonged his life. But prolonged his life. Go tell so-and-so, make a paste made out of prunes, apply it to your sore, and you'll live another 15 number years. No robot, no iron lung. Here, take something that God already gave us. I can work with technology. It works with technology. What is this? I don't, I don't have a problem with, you know, you take the herbs, you take a pill, you get a shot. I don't have a problem with that. But to keep someone alive by plugging them into a machine... 
that's going to breathe for them. But you, you have to draw the line somewhere. I did! I told you where I drew the line! See, see, the thing is... People die on... I, I think people die on life support, though. Like, they're, they're, it's not like a sure thing. It's not like, oh, you get hooked up to a machine, you're going to live. All I'm doing is telling you I've already drawn the line. You may not like the line. All I'm doing is saying, hey... I don't mind where you draw the line. How about a heart attack, Joseph? A heart attack. I was a paramedic. I am a nurse. You have a heart attack right now. I am going to pass out and die giving you mouth-to-mouth and cardiopulmonary resuscitation. I've been trained. I know how to do it. And until somebody comes in that door to relieve me, I will die before I let you die. But if it's in your case... But you know what? But you if you're laying on the, on the floor here, man, and we just can't do anything, and 20 guys have been pounding on your chest for three hours waiting for the stupid ambulance, Wait, and they get here and they go... Why did we call an ambulance? What are they getting Why not? Aren't they Maybe just going to use machines? And shock I don't have a problem with that. Okay, it's not a permanent thing. I'm not going to hook you up to a resuscitator. I'm not going to hook you up to an iron lung. You know, I'm not going to hook you up to a machine. I'm going to try. the hospital and they can cut me open and they can, you know, do a new... I was on the open heart team for four years. So if you could do it, that's what you do. Yeah. And if you can't, hey man... I get it. Your number's up. I know where his line is. I'm okay with it. Right? That's okay. What, that's all I'm saying because you know what? Why don't we... God's called your number. It's what? time. I would just Something real quick? Quick thing on this one. I would also line up with when it comes to... And everybody to should brush your teeth in case i got to give you a mouthful. With, with, with regards to uh, medical care when prolonging suffering, going back to the original scenario, another important issue to me would be whether or not the care actually makes the suffering worse. Like, for example, let's say someone's got cancer. You give them chemo. It's a terminal cancer, you know it will kill them, but the chemotherapy will help them live a little longer because it will slow the cancer's attack down. Well, this chemo is going to make their final days absolutely hell. I think it's better to let them die That's in that scenario. Well, I'm one day off. went through that very same thing. You're not dead until who says you're dead. God. Okay. My mother-in-law well, My mother-in-law had we, blood we, cancer. We she have, went through that same thing, and she said, I don't want the chemo. I want to die at home with my husband. If she's not, I mean, if the person, if there's a chance you can save them, and like if you're looking at it and going, this is therapy, this is right, for right. the work, go for it. But if you're looking at it going, basically we can add six extra months to your life by giving you this treatment, Which, the treatment's going to make those six months miserable, I don't think it's worth it. No. Well, listen, my, my point is, is we idolatry with um, <laughs> the doctor's words on this stuff. Oh, we've got six more months left. And when we see people live for three years. We see people who are brain dead, and then they come back after right. seven yeah. years. So right. I think it's all in God's hands, no matter what you do. I, I think so, too. <laughs> but keto so, is but, never the answer. But the point <laughs> is, if you're going to make a move to end life based on a prediction that's not of God, but rather from an expert. See, now we're, we're disagreeing with this. Yes. Because I never said end life. I'll bust my butt to keep life going. Right. As long as you don't cross your line. Of keeping life going. I'm going to do everything I can. Jump start it, but not keep it going. That's right. That's all. I'm not going to keep it going by plugging into the machine. Yeah, I was just going to add in in Joshua's defense as well, if it it becomes a quality versus quantity of life, you know, and and doctors are speculating, that's really what they're doing at this point, then they're speculating, okay, we'll give you six months, and, you know, 
it, it turns out to be six weeks or six years. You, you get the plus and the minus. You know, it, it's different in every case. So uh, in, that, in that case, for someone to make that decision for someone else, that's very selfish on their part. But for the person who's undergoing the treatment, that should be their decision alone. That's a good point. Well, we can, we can move on to the next one. The next one is uh, Mr. Burroughs, very interested. All right. So, um, well, that was really good. I was, I was surprised that we, we had that much discussion on the, on the lesson, too. Yeah, no, but that, at least well, we know where some lines are. You guys better come visit. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's it, yeah, I'm going to pull a plug. <laughs> 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 he was going to die, but you didn't kill him. What's, what's this supposed to be plugged into? And what's that loud noise? Uh, Aren't all destined to die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this next one is going to be uh, the Jewish perspective on the beginning of life and the issue of abortion. So the first, the, the, the last one on the last one we did, you guys could read later, that was just a cool little line from um, the Talmud. So the next one, that's just a statistic to kick things off, and I'm not sure how recent that is, but I'm sure it's higher now. And Chris, would you like to read that next one there? So more than 1.3 million abortions are performed in the U.S. each year. That is expecting a third child with a husband suffering a massive heart, uh, a massive stroke. It is uncertain if he will live. Even if he survives, the road to recovery will be uh, arduous and finally, out, and the final outcome uncertain. Although she is very much uh, wanted this child before this tragedy struck, she has two other children to raise and a husband hovering between life and death. Carrying a baby to term seems to be overwhelming. Uh, may she abort the fetus? Baby. Okay, so that's, that's the first one there. The next one is, is separate because there, there's two different issues there. But on the first one, that's a, that's a yes or no question. They're asking, may she abort the fetus? See, exactly. God brought about, God allowed her husband to have a stroke. So it's, and he also allowed the baby to come about. So really... So she gave. She was pregnant before the husband was afflicted. So it's that's that's the situation God gave for both of them. Either way, let's do this. It doesn't matter. What if the baby were born yeah. uh, the day after the baby were born, and then the guy has the stroke? Oh, oh, oh no! Human being at that point, guys. Yeah, I've got a verse right here. Well, she she fearfully and wonderfully made. Mary's reading the baby. Leaped inside her, and Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In the second hour, they're really? actually going to use that very verse. Yes. I'm shocked. That's great. I'm shocked. Plus, in 50, Psalm 51.5, it says, in, uh, I was conceived in iniquity. So you got conception as indicating life. You're a sinner at conception. Okay? Plus, you have the baby in the womb of Elizabeth leaping. Not fetus, baby. Okay? So, which, which book was that again? The, um, the, the, the B, Psalm, oh, Luke, three. And so the issue is, when is murder okay? And we just ask the correct question. No, it's okay when there's, when there's life at stake, which is the next one. So we, I really think that we should recognize that there's absolutely nothing wrong with abortion. Really? As long as we treat it like murder. 
Right. <laughs> that's right. Well, really, that's the bottom line. And you know what the sad part is? 50% of the people that get abortions are Christians. Yeah. Professing Christians. Yep. It's as simple as that. And we, got, we give it all the lip service we want when we're together. And when we're together. Motivated. That's right. So, it's the male that's forcing them to do it. Well, the males that are in here ought to know the right way. It's as simple as that. We are men of Torah. We are men that are choosing to be men of righteousness. How can the prayer of a righteous man avail much if he is a murderer? Right. You just can't do that. Well, a righteous man wouldn't even allow that situation to happen. That situation did happen. Right, and if we look at it, it starts off where she, they conceived a child before the stroke ever occurred. God, God allowed the child to conceive and allowed the stroke to occur. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's good. it could be God's plan that she has to take care of the husband and the family. Exactly. And show that okay. testament that she is caring after her family and there's the bond of family. And yeah. And my thought on, on abortion is we never, ever have to look at the circumstances. Yeah, the first one. Oh, we, we will. Ever yeah, have to look at the circumstances. Okay. Just, um, I got Let, Let's. Uh, yeah, yeah. Could you read the second one as well? Yeah. And who suffered from a bone marrow cancer needs a transplant and found only one matching donor, her pregnant sister, Leah. Uh, in order to perform the procedure without endangering Leah's life, an abortion was needed. Uh, whose life takes precedence? This is even easier. All right, guys. All right, here's, here's, let me just give another analogy, okay? This is even easier than the first one. All right. What if we all got together and we decided that we wanted Noah's liver? Because... Peter needed it. Mike makes right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> this is the whole point. You, you realize, though, that that's, that's different because Noah is right now completely living on his own. Uh-oh. Right? A baby oh, is the removal of the liver. Would... A baby can't live without the mother at this point, right? A baby left in, her, in her, his mother's womb. Um, human being left in the mother. Not fetus. See, the word yeah. fetus is the way we put a distance between... Right ourselves and what's actually happening. And the nefesh here, I think this is, you know, a grievous error in the Talmud. Because the scriptures contradict what the Talmud says. So I just think we need to expunge that from our ethical discussion as anything valuable, frankly. Well, that, I, I put that in there because it is pretty controversial. There is, if, if you see later on in the Torah, in Shemot here. Say the most controversial one is the Torah. Yeah. In, right, right here in the Torah, I'll go ahead and read this. This is in Exodus 21, 22 through 23. It says, If men strive together and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart, and yet no harm follows, he shall surely be fined, and pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, you shall give a life for a life. Implying that there is a different punishment for the harming of the fruit inside of her and the woman who is carrying the fruit. But we don't like to hear that. Right. Got, no. There's implications in here. We've got men striving yeah, together. This is, these aren't people sitting in a doctor's office deciding on... Yeah, it's not even intentional. No, no, but the... Necessary. Right, but, but the point... The value of life seems to be different. The value of life is different. That's the whole point. With the implications involved... 21... It was 21, 22 through 23. Just Go ahead. Sorry. Like Alex 
Wes was saying. Um, wait, I just lost it. Um, well, again, going back again to the whole situation with the sisters that we saw earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know you look at it and you say, well, is it okay to take Noah's liver in that instance? But isn't this somewhat similar to the, to the son story earlier? I mean, if you rescue your son, the other one will die. Okay, well, let's go back to the train example that Isaac had. Do you flip the switch or not? Yeah, that's, that's what it comes down to in that case, because it's like, okay, well, you could say, and see, they're, they're playing it off with the whole abortion thing. Yeah, it's all about the value of life in this case. So they're saying, you've got... Than the baby inside of her. Yes. All I'm saying is this. If we're going to use this Talmudic writing to, to, to take the word nephesh and get cute with it, to call the baby a fetus instead of a baby, it's evil. That's what I'm saying. And there is... The Jewish... situation you want to, that is, that is a wrong interpretation of the Bible. The, the Jewish perspective on the baby is in, in, in Proverbs, it talks about how the... Um, the light of God like hovers over the head, and they are de they describe that as when the baby is in the womb, that their soul is in fact hovering over their head, and the moment that they take their first breath on their own, when they come out of the womb and that that first breath of air that is not dependent on the mother, that's when their soul enters them at that moment. Right, now I'm saying that. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> but, okay. I mean, that's what I'm saying. So you got a baby in a womb in the Bible. It says a baby left in a womb. Let's call it a baby. Let's protect it. It's a human being. So well, it is. It, sure, I mean it is a baby, but that. even taking that and, and agreeing with you, then the question, though, I think, is still important. Mm -hmm. Whose life takes precedence? Um, the mother has. The mother has a duty to her child. God provided that child. She has. It's talking about that question without redefining the baby as a fetus. I'm not sure what I'm saying. It's a baby, but it's a baby in the womb, an unborn child. You cannot live by itself. To preserve life. I don't even know. Your duty is to care for your child. Fetus in the Bible. It's a Latin word, so it doesn't even matter because your scripture reference says baby in the womb. Well, no, actually, the word is. I looked it up. It is actually commonly translated as baby. The right. same word used in Luke chapter I, one with, with the I in the womb is also used with a baby lying in a manger. But this is a baby in the womb. Right? Yeah, it, it describes it as in the womb. The lizard right. in the womb. <laughs> this is a right. baby and it's in, in the, the womb. womb. Right. It's not a baby outside yeah. the womb. Are we missing right. a question here? Anne has cancer. Sure. The question is should Leah get an abortion? so that she can have the bone marrow transplant. Well, the reason the discussion is important is because in order to answer this question, you have to make the decision whose life is more valuable. That's why we're describing or trying to define... Or is there levels? Exactly, because... I, I don't see that as the question. Yeah, me neither. Because to me, to me, there is never, ever, under any circumstances... A right for us to commit murder. We have a strict commandment. What number is it? How come you didn't all say six? You don't know? What's the sixth commandment? Are you sure? Oh, good. All right. So if I'm not supposed to commit murder, what's this woman supposed to do? Well, let's see. 
should I have the bone marrow transplant or should I commit murder? I don't know. That's the question. Okay, so so have it. Let's let's make it let's make it multiple choice. Lights above the womb. No, it doesn't matter about the womb. Thank you. Thank you. Clear now. Six commandments. Amen. What is? Let your mind come. Go ahead. Hopefully this Just because you're big, we don't have to listen. <laughs> Changing perspective slightly, I'm in the military. My job is to kill people, to murder people. No, that's no, no, no. Actually, Jeremiah's at a point because there is one other scenario. This one is a situation where you're taking care of someone else and its impact is on the baby in someone else's womb. But if the mother has cancer and the only way to save the mother's life is chemo, which will kill the baby, then the rabbis did have an interesting teaching on this that we talked about earlier. The baby is considered a pursuer. It's yes. the baby's fault, in a sense, that yes. the mother will die. Pure that's not the case. No, but that... But that there are cases, actually, where the baby is the reason the mother could die. No, but to consider it evil... Well, wait, no, 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 I, I think evil. it's important... No, that, what they're trying that's to exactly what it is. If it comes down to the mom or the or the baby, I understand that. What the, do you do? The way you're determining to do that by de, by making the mother the victim of the pregnancy, that is the worldview of our atheistic American culture. Well, I mean, that pregnancy is a disease. That's, you that's, that's, but that's, that's, that's oh, I can right, assure you that is definitely not it's, where the Jews are coming close. from. I can assure you. No, no, I this might. And I'm I'm big on. on I mean, there, yeah, for example, there there are instances where they're coming from too. Is also today we have things like C-sections. When the rabbis were coming up to this, there were no C-sections. If a baby got stuck and the, the mother is bleeding, the mother will die. Then you can cut the baby out, but the mother will die. Right. So their argument then in that scenario is, if you have to kill the baby to get the baby out to save the mother's life, you kill the baby. As horrific as that sounds, the consideration is, like Jeremiah was saying, it's the military Both example, the baby is the reason the mother is dying. That's right. I bet. I But the thought I was trying to say was, essentially, what's the difference in military lease between killing and murder. Defense. Is, is, I don't have any problem with military people. That, that would go into the pursuer. Exactly. Yeah. And what do you do about collateral? I mean, Jeremiah's... Jer in war, flies people don't. I get that, but that's what I'm just that's asking. It's, it can't be as simple as that versus a bad guy. If the safest place, if the safest place on the planet is supposed to be a mother's womb, and it no longer is something that's wrong. That's not, it's not biblical, that's just a phrase. No, it, it is biblical. so <laughs> cool. It's profound. It is. Uh, this is sort of a really... I want to bring it from both sides approach. Uh, depending on the severity of the mother's cancer, and, de and depending on the, the length of the pregnancy, how far along the woman is, um, you know, there, one could, okay, if you could induce the mother early and, and have the baby completely healthy, and then the mother could continue her battle with cancer, win or lose. That's, that's you know, but if, if she's not, if she's already started the chemo and the, and the baby's only a couple months along, you know, and the baby's already suffering from the chemo treatments and everything like that, it looks like it's going to kill the baby. That's a different scenario. I'm just saying that if, uh, if you know, given the given a proper situation, I, I think that they could both have a chance at life. So you believe in situational ethics? Is that the key? 
So you're at the change of on situation. Hi, Daddy. All right. Oh! I actually understand the certain circumstances. That's not even a different approach. Easy. Mine does change to face the situation. Absolutely, mine does as well. Twenty-five people on this train track, and one guy here. I pull the switch. If there's one and one, maybe you don't pull the switch. So, you will kill. I haven't made any decision. Depends on the circumstance. No, 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 no. That's what I'm arguing. You're responsible. I agree. Situational. Either way, I am a situational ethical person. But, okay, you're saying pulling the switch or paying the bribe. Remember, we are describing things that aren't, that are sometimes not as clear-cut as commandments. So situational ethics is appropriate in that case. We are using scripture, and we, that, that's, that's what we want to do. We want to use scripture, and we want to use wisdom to make the right decision giving the situation. Because both of these are two situations when it comes to abortion, and both might have different outcomes depending on your, your viewpoint. So, anyway, yeah. Um, I think the issue that I was facing while you were speaking was that I think you look at the question about Anne because you've already come to the conclusion that the baby in the womb and Anne are the same value of life. So uh, actually, 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 I, actually, I think there's a major question before that, son, that hasn't been raised. If you need a bone marrow transplant, am I obligated to give you a bone marrow to my bone marrow because you need a bone marrow transplant? That, to me, is the first question. Well, you just said before that you would do anything it took to save a life. And wouldn't that include being willing to give your bone marrow to save someone else's life? Because in this case, she was the only donor. Yeah, I, didn't, I didn't say I wouldn't give Oh, okay. I think that's the question. That was and the answer is, yes, I would give my bone marrow. Now, if that happened to cause my baby to die, that's not my game. I'm given the bone marrow because I can save a life. If God doesn't preserve the life in my womb, that wasn't mm. up to me. Mm. That's up to God. If you define, yeah, I believe that if you define the line very darkly and you don't do this gray crap, making these decisions are simple. Or they can be as simple as possible. They can be emotional, but they can be simple. And I don't want to downplay how difficult they are. What I want to point out is the danger of um, some unbiblical thinking that is passed off as religiously wise in bringing it to the situation. You're back to the Nefesh thing? Yeah, I am back to the Nefesh thing. And I'm also, and I'm, I'm so, and are calling the baby a pursuer, I would just rather leave that language out of it because it almost seems to justify the conclusion you've already reached and you're just looking for a religious sounding reason to get there. Which is what rather you're doing. Rather obscuring the, the fact that this is a human being, which is what you just said, you can make it a lot simpler if you just stick to the bright line fact that um, life begins at conception. And so a lot of, we don't have to bring in the other religious jargon to confuse that issue, then we can now make decisions based on what we know to be true, that this is a human being. In that case, you were defining yeah. the, the biblical precedence for the fact that a baby is a human being is because they used the term baby. You weren't, you, that, just by the simple term of definition, the, the term is what you're using as your proof in that case. Well, I don't even need to go there. I mean, I've held babies in my hand that were only a couple of weeks old. Yeah. 
I mean literally, from conception, weeks, right? I mean, it is a life. There's no question about it. That's, that's not my So your concern. issue is whether or not you act. In other words, yes. if your act yes. saves someone, always do that, yes. even if that act also kills somebody else. Yes. But, so in this situation, we might but, but I don't, I don't know that I could generically go quite as far as you said. Like, like. But that's what the scenario does. Right. This, we've actually under, misunderstood the scenario. It's not Anne is the is the sister. It's the sister. This, her sister is the one who is pregnant. So are we going to kill that baby? To well, we're not going to kill the baby. What we're going to do but it says is do everything we can. Abortion was needed. Yeah. Though. Yeah. No. no they the, think an abortion is needed. That's my point. No, the culture it's, 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 tells us that we need to kill the baby so we can we can help the sister. And my point is, the Torah is clear. My sister needs my help. I'm going to help my sister. If that affects my baby, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. But I'm not going to go ahead and kill the baby first because, well, I mean, it, it might cause just whatever. Well, the, we have we have three more to go here, and yeah, yeah, they are much easier, and I'm just okay because that was this is we've never really talked about abortion here before, which is. I was throwing that. Let's get the point of chapter three is not at all what you're talking about. The idea is to determine biblically is is the the fetus the baby the baby in the womb. Equal, equal to a person outside the world. And I think that's, that's, I think I've made that decision. That right, but you didn't walk anyone through your process. I'm sorry. Chapter three is about. I'm sorry. Yeah, and my, the uh, in in was, Judaism they. I can't know. See, in in Judaism they would take the the creation story about like God formed a a a being. And that's all it was until he breathed the breath of life into that being. And so they would, I mean, and it, it did a little, it, I don't know, it made sense to me. Ezekiel also is an example. You have an army of people, flesh, bone, everything. Right. Everything, but not breathing. Right, that breath is the, what, what, that's, def- what, what that's what makes us different, exactly. And when a baby, when a human being is in the womb, its breath is completely dependent upon the mother, and then after... Right, it is breathing. It's almost like a life support. But it wouldn't be unless there was a mother. Right, but... So... He's right. Right. Once there's a conception, that has been a creation of God, and we don't have that choice to say, I'm going to... Exactly. Right. Uh, it, it, it is alive. It is breathing. Exactly. Maybe breathing by means of the mother. That's also well, the means oh, just of the I do want to defend the rabbis real quick and point out that they do not justify killing a baby unless it's in order to save another life. Right, there, exactly. There is no scenario where they go, well, actually, well it's I not mean, really life, so we don't care. Their, their issue is simply to, to, to say that if a, a grown adult's life is at risk, and you have to kill the baby to save the adult's life. The adult's life is, quote, more valuable. That, that's, their that's what they would I will, say. I will tell you that that one question is the toughest one there is. Hmm. Because you do it with horses. Well, right? Do you say, you know, they're trying to, trying to give birth, and it's breech. Well, when a horse is breech, which means it's by its first, right? One's going to die. There's no two ways about it. Either the mom's going to die, or the pony's going to die. It's as simple as that. This so, what choice do you make? Yeah. And that choice is one I hope you have. Question for Go my ahead. Brother, Torah brethren. Uh, the IDF, are 
Are they Torah observant generally? There are people in the IDF who are. Because apparently, I've been told that your first abortion will be covered as a female in the IDF. Apparently, two million Jews have been murdered in the womb. And I wonder how many of them appeal to this so-called wisdom to do it. None of them. Well, I wonder. I don't think any of them do. They don't have breath in them anyway. The orthodox so won't do that. Yeah, but see that. It's a strong psyche. It can get part of the, the foundation the to justify abortion. None of these things are justification for abortion that isn't what Joshua says. Orthodox woman wouldn't be in the IDF anyway. Well, so you're, you're arguing against a, a straw man. I just hope that this isn't what most Jews believe. Well, I, I just don't matter think that if they believe, then I can understand the justification to call it a potential life instead of a life. Well, let, let's say, let's just t say for sake of argument that you believed everything on that page. Why would that justify abortion for you? Why? What on there justifies abortion? Right. So. Yeah, it's not a full life. It's not a. It's um, without the breath defined in, in the garden. Did Adam leap before he breathed? But he wasn't a fetus, so how would he know? He was really. He didn't. He was formed differently, right? I just I don't think I don't think any of this justifies abortion in any case. We're talking about extenuating circumstances. Once you call it a fetus, and it's not a full life. I've seen it. Well, all life could become a handle to grab onto when you have emotion. I would just say though that again, their argument, the whole reason they're breaking it down this way, is in an effort to say is to categorize life. Okay. If we have a situation where we have to say exactly. one, we only can say one, is there any possible justification for picking which one you save? Or is it really just a... Or, or, or is the answer always do and see what happens? And, and to your, or don't do and see what happens? And to your point, the sages are the one that actually stepped to the plate and wrestled with the question. And as Christians, exactly. as Gentiles... We normally just give it lip service and say, oh, we love babies, we would never kill a baby. And that's just a bunch of crap. That's as far as that goes. There are times when we're going to be presented with situations that the sages have wrestled with, and they've figured out from the scriptures how to prioritize. And I agree in, with in you. These My point is that they, they're not trying to say the baby's not alive or not valuable or that you can kill it for any reason. Because I understand your concern that secular people would see this one phrase, grab a hold of it, and run with it. But the sage's intention was to categorize life and say, well, this is the highest ranking life, this is the next ranking life. All is still life, but this is more valuable, and if you, if you can only save one, you always go with this one. And yeah, and, and Mr. 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 Burroughs, the... That would just... You'd be the worst enemy. I, just, I understand where you're coming from. I wanted to clarify as well that the only reason that they use the term abort or abortion is because of the state of the baby. Because you could switch those terms with murder and the question would be equally valid. The question that we're trying to discuss here is life versus a life, essentially. But the only reason they're using those terms is because of where the baby is at this current stage. And it's, and it's interesting to know. Christianity normally ranks life exactly opposite the way the sages of Israel live. Mm -hmm. That should make you stop and think, guys, that maybe our focus is just a little screwy. 
or at least have you examined the way they did. And it's long and tedious. So maybe I've missed, are we saying that the mother's life is more important or do we have Well, that's part of the reason why... Well, it was the sister's yeah. life. But the reason right. why you bring in the case of a, a mother who is pregnant. Maybe I've missed it. Which one are we... To me, I would, I would never abort a child under any circumstances. Well, I, would, I would go ahead and try and... Yeah, I think my wife would agree. I mean, if, if she was going to no. have one of our ten, and, and we were faced, both of us were faced, honey, one of you got to die. I mean, what? I think she would... Say the same thing that I would. It's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. He'll figure it out. He'll figure it out. And, that's, that and that's what I would do in this thing here. You know, the sister's going to, if she chooses to do the bone marrow transplant and the baby dies, she gave life and God took her life. By and if, if she does that and the baby lives, what an opportunity for grace. Mm -hmm. But I would never say... Well, I got to do this for my sister, so I'll go. I'll go in this, back, you know, back here in the garbage can and kill my baby, and then I'll come back here and, and save my sister. Yeah. So yeah. If, if, the, if the mother is pregnant, do we do we hope for God's miracle? Do we, or do we? You're basing you're basing your decision on a doctor who ethically they take a Hippocratical oath that. Be, quite frankly, they, they wanted to cut my leg off because I had my kneecap ripped off and I got gangrene. I lost 33 pounds in two weeks. They wanted to cut my leg off. I wouldn't let them do it. Well, I'm still walking on it. You know, they make, for them to say, okay, who's going to die, your baby or your wife? It's like, well, Dad, they told Mom after two children, they told her that she would, it would be, uh, she, she cannot bear any more children. She should not have any more children. It's, her gynecologist said she'd never have children. Yeah. That's so cool. Baruch Hashem. Okay, well, yeah, we made it halfway through. So um, feel free to take this home and, and read some of the rest of this. It's These were just three of them, and this was exactly how the discussion was with us because some of these questions are really tricky, and you find yourself going back and forth with a lot of arguments when there's not a lot of scripture involved. When people are bringing up scripture and their decision in a particular instance is based on scripture, it's really hard to argue that sometimes. So I'm, I'm glad that we had such good discussion and everything. I've got one additional question on this. And it takes, you've got an extra neighbor who's going gonna to do an abortion. Right? The baby's at risk. Would you have
in my daughter's womb. So it's a girl. Oh. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You had it. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I treat it the same way. Now, but I, would, case, I would totally agree. In one case, I can wrestle a knife out of somebody's hand. In the other way, I may have to be more persuasive. But darn it, you're going to know where I stand, and I'm going to wear you out. I may even drive you to the hospital and help that baby be born and put up for adoption, or find a foster family right. yeah. if, if, it, if God should bring that across my path. And if she says, I, you, know, you know, forget it, and she starts driving to the uh, clinic, the abortion clinic. She will know exactly where I stand. When, when do you stop? That's, you that's, a, that's an excellent question. question. That's uh, an excellent question. Are you at the door of the clinic? Are you? I have, the clinic, I have uh, stood with signs in front of abortion clinics. I know I've, 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 I've played the part. I have, I have walked out what I'm saying. So there's no hypocrisy here. When do we stop? But I don't, I don't know the answer to when that. Do we, when but do we I'll give it. The, uh, signs I think, I think I have to give my clients good counsel with regard to caring for their data. Uh -huh. You need to be able to say and demonstrate in court that you did due diligence in, in preserving and caring for that data. And I'm going to stand before my God, and I want to be able to say, I, I did my due diligence. I gave it my best shot. Could I have done more? I'm, I'm sure. But you know what? He's called me to so many things. I know he's got that circle of purview that he wants me to care for. For us, the question, when we're in front of God, are we accountable for that well, extra Did you do everything? We know we're accountable. Yeah. The yeah. question is how we're accountable. Exactly how Did we do everything we could? Yeah, the, a good verse for that is don't stand idly by the blood of your fellow. That's right. You can't walk by when someone else is, you know, being attacked or drowning or anything like that. You always have to save them. And to Gregory's point, I would also share the opposite side of the Torah, which makes it clear that if your enemy's donkey is collapsed under its load, you are to help him get that donkey. You notice that you're not supposed to walk by. That's right. Mm -hmm. You've got to yeah. help even your enemy. Gentlemen. Thank you very much. You guys did so good.